Hi, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Watching this screen, look out, because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. <laughs> and I'm Dan, and on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're talking about slimes in D&D and all the related gelatinous, gooey horrors like molds and jellies and oozes, and I think that was a pudding, and even gelatinous cubes. And we'll be asking questions like, where the heck did they come from in D&D, and how fast can you run away from them? All that and more today on Wandering DMs. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Um, awesome. Where where do you want to start, Dan? Well, I, you know, uh, I want to say I am really, yeah. you know, I I am really intrigued by the gooey, slimy, oozy monsters in D anD D because for a bunch of reasons they they seem like an incredible outlier. Like if you look at original classic D anD D, they just seem like a real outlier in a lot of ways, and uh, they really push the boundaries of the mechanics, and they bring up lots of interesting questions about how to rule on them. And it kind of underscores the the horror based aspect of of original D anD D. So I have I could I, I could think about slimy oozy stuff all day long. <laughs> you know, so, something dawned on me when we were talking about this originally. I was I was focused on the green slime, but as I as I think about it, if I if I was to say the Ocancelli or the black pudding. All of these monsters include a color, as far as I can tell, for no actual reason. There aren't other things called... There's no yellow slime or blue slime. There's no green pudding or orange pudding, right? There's. Why does the color matter? Why does the color make it into the name of these things? That's a good. That's a good. That's a good point. I think that that's a really that's a really good question. I'm not entirely sure about that. Actually, I think like in first edition, there's like some text. If you can modify this, you can make the black pudding white or gray if you want to, or something like that. But generally speaking, you're totally right. That's a really good point. They all they right. all have right. right. They all have a color. It's funny. Right. I didn't or, think of them about that. Or or the the inverse, right? Like why give them different names, right? You could have had green slime and black slime and yellow slime, right? But no, we have black pudding and you know yellow mold and right like <laughs> every one of them i guess mold is it does feel fairly different but like slime versus pudding eh, eh. you know um uh, di- our, our friend uh Disparal bb has has a good comment there uh on the, the chat he's saying the color is so savvy adventurers can identify them readily and you know right. that's that's a major question for me when i've been uh balancing them or assessing how dangerous they are like a major question is if i you know simulate a, a random wizard uh going at one of these things does the wizard know does the wizard identify know what it is and know what spells work and what don't because that makes a big difference right Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Wait. Why the wizard? Why? Why not anyone? Well, because it's very clear. Because um, uh, everybody else, you know, like, like a fighter has a sword, right? That's what they have. Mm-hmm. They got weapons. Yep. And so, yep. for any particular one of these monsters, weapons either work or they don't. Classically, you don't have a choice about it. But mm-hmm. for the spells, you know, and that's actually one of the things that's that I think is interesting is that it, in um, original D anD D, it highlights. The, the very limited number of options that you have for magical attacks. And right. uh, every single one of those monsters highlights, uh, you know, fire and cold and lightning spells, because that's it. Those, those are the only things in original D&D that do hit points of damage. And so mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. wizard can, might come into the fight and have a choice. Am I throwing fire? Am I throwing lightning? And whether they throw the right one makes a big difference. Whereas gotcha. I think for gotcha. a fighter, so, I need to so hit, it, hit it with my sword. It, 
is the logic that the wizard, by studying those spells, knows, oh, this spell is useful because these such creatures are are susceptible to it. Yeah, that's a see, that's a great question. And, would, that, would you would you well, assume, I, like a I, random I, NPC? Would you think yes or would you think no? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, eh, eh, I don't know. I mean, I would say for me, like the idea of savvy adventurers getting knowing it. I mean that that rings true for me, but more from like the same way as say savvy adventurers uh, start to understand what kind of magic items exist, right? Like even go back to the classic, uh, you know, sample play script in BX where the characters find some boots and one and one of them says, well, I put them on and I move around to see if I'm moving silently or something like that. I can't remember. Mm, totally. what he You're right. But, but specifically, it's like, I want to test to see if these are these specific kind of magic boots. Um, and I feel like that is more a test of player memory, right? Um, and this came up for me specifically, actually, with the green slime in an adventure I was running or a campaign I was running uh, with, our, uh, with our friend BJ. Um, he was playing with a group who um, was not used to old school D&D and had not played very much D&D at all. So it was a party of mostly newbies, plus BJ, who's been playing forever and knows mm -hmm. all the tropes. And so he kind of naturally fell into this character type of the grizzled old veteran who said, oh, be careful. And it specifically happened when Green Slime fell on the paladin who was wearing plate armor. And he went, oh, no, that's Green Slime, right? And he immediately knew that the armor was in peril and, and the, the adventurer as well, but like immediately like was telling them, you got to do this. You got to scrape it off. You got to get the fire out. Right. Like it was, <laughs> and it was great. It was a really nice moment. You know, it wasn't like an, for an out of game reason, because BJ was playing a, a bard or a, or a wizard or somebody who should know. It was just because BJ knew because he's played D&D a lot. You know, I had, it's such a great, those experiences are so great. And I had a very similar experience uh, uh, playing in a, a game a year or two ago uh, with, with our friend Max. And um, one, of, uh, one of the fellow players uh, pushed aside like a dirty curtain and a whole bunch of bugs <laughs> jumped out on him and started burrowing into his skin. And so I instantaneously say, I throw all my, I throw my, my lantern's oil all over that player and, and burn him up. Right. And of course, it was rot grub. And if I hadn't done that, it would have been instant death. And uh, the player involved was our, our good friend, Steve Buckley, actually. And so the funny thing is he rather nonchalantly, he rather nonchalantly took me burning his player character to pieces because and, and I think in game, I have this image of the of the, the character just standing there accepting the burning oil all over his flesh. And Steve was like, I don't know what that was, and I don't know why that was important, but if Dan said we needed to do it, we needed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, that's rock yeah. rub. That's a that's a separate yeah. episode. Yeah. We're not talking about rock rub and no, but it is it, it is that kind of that murky mirror, right, between player knowledge yeah. and character knowledge that I love, and I think that's yeah. why the colors are important for me, and I feel like. If I was playing with a larger group of players who know their stuff, like in that case with one veteran player, it's fun to throw the tropes because he can be the right guy. He can be the person who mm -hmm. says like, oh, I know this, right? And be correct. And that's a fun moment. If you're playing with a group of all experienced players, then I want to start flipping it up. I want to mix and match. And I want to have, green, I want to have black slime and green ooze mm -hmm. and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, I'm just thinking of all the possibilities. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you see that in the evolution of the game, right? There were clear there was clearly this this back and forth about as the as the players become more expert and think that they know everything, that you know, Gary and Dave would intentionally throw, you know, this is where cursed magic items come from, is to throw these curveballs in the mix specifically to to play with that interaction. Um, which, you know, it, it depends on your, your play group. That has to be customized to your particular play group and your players, like you're saying. Now, let me say that, so, so to begin with, I, I, maybe you might want to pull up the, um, the original D&D monster list that's got a red box around it, because the very first thing that strikes me is, you know, these slimy monsters were in original D&D, the very first publication in 1974. They were in there uh, pretty much at the end of the monster roster list. And when I look at that list of, of monsters in original D&D, almost everything in there is basically Greek mythology 
or uh, sorry, there's a there's a, a different one with uh, with kind of a red box highlighting the, the bottom part. Mm -hmm. There you go. Okay. Thank there you so you much. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, the the second page of two pages of the the monster roster in uh, original D and D. Basically near the end, and you've got the uh, ochre jelly, black pudding, green slime, gray ooze, yellow mold. You know, I never, I seriously never occurred to me they all have a color built in. What is my problem? <laughs> <laughs> now I can't get I mean, over that today. <laughs> you know, we we I think we've talked about before oh. how monsters uh, in D and D were. Um, you know it, that that monster descriptions often featured color, right? Like you have this, yeah, right yeah. from like you know hobgoblins skin tone or blue nose that blue noses something weird like that uh for folks following it at home by the way this is volume two page four of our od and d text that we're looking at here um yeah yeah okra and, and and what what i found really strange is not that they have colors but just that they also have different descriptors there's no two there are not two kinds of jellies there are not two mm -hmm. slimes oozes puddings molds right there's one of each a color and a uh a material let us say yep. Which I find yep. fascinating, right. absolutely fascinating. And then I want to, I want to screw with that, right? Yep. I guess I want to screw yep, with yep. The the other reason the color thing comes up is, and and I've seen this used in a lot of adventures, is for camouflage, right? Like I've seen a lot of adventures where, say, black slime is on the surface of water where it looks dark and you can't see it, or green slime is a comp is clinging to the ceiling where otherwise there's a lot of green fungus and mold anyway, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like that happens a lot, uh, you know, and I don't know if that's, I don't know, uh, which came first, frankly, whether that's, uh, the monsters came first and then people started trying to hide them in their adventures, or if it was always intended that they would be kind of camouflaged. Good question. I would kind of guess the latter. I feel like, you know, it became a trope later on of like, there's a bunch of slimy stuff here. Maybe it's green. It's not, it's fine. Right. That, that became that sort of it's, it's kind of a bunch of mold here. Maybe that's pot. No, it's just regular mold. Um, <laughs> uh, so I feel like that uh, I feel like the you know disguising it possibly came later. Uh, mm -hmm. I could be wrong. But, you know, so the, fir the very first thing that just pops out at me is how much this doesn't this section doesn't look like the other stuff in the list. Right. Further up in the list, you've got minotaurs and centaurs and unicorns and dryads and elves and hippogriffs and stuff like that. And all that stuff is from classical mythology. <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. You know, may, the, the first page that we're not looking at has uh, goblins and orcs and undead and chimeras and dragons and stuff like that. So that's all right out of classic mythology and or Tolkien, right? It's almost in the order that these things appear in Tolkien. And then you've got this blob of oozy monsters that just don't look anything like that. And there's nothing else in the list like this. So uh, initially I look mm -hmm. at this and go, why was this important? Why was this on, on, on those guys' minds? Um, and uh, where did this come from? So I think I, I kind of gave away the story to that at the, uh, at the start of the episode when we played the trailer, uh, part of the trailer to the 1958 Blob movie starring Steve McQueen in his, in his, in his first starring role. And um, a couple of months back, uh, this I believe uh, this uh, last winter actually, we had on Greg Svensson, uh, who known as the Great Zveni, who was one of the first players in uh, Dave Arneson's Blackmore campaign. And in that episode, he told us the very first adventure, the very first adventure, maybe the very first monster, Dave Arneson threw black pudding at the very first adventurers into Blackmore. Um, and he even went so far as to take him into a basement laundry room and act out in real time what happens when the light goes off and the black pudding attacks them. Uh, and he was jumping <laughs> wires and washers and stuff like that. And then Arneson would rule on how well they escaped from the black pudding. Um, and at the time, uh, uh, Greg told us that that was clearly, you know, Dave took the inspiration from the Blob movie. Um, and uh, and that's scary. That's a, that's a big, that's a big monster. Big as in large, physically large, or just uh, terror, or just high power? What do you... Both, both. I mean, I mean if you if you take okay. the inspiration, <laughs> if you take inspiration from the trailer, it's like filling the the whole doors of this theater coming out. And there is an illustration in um, in one of the supplements. I don't have it uh, prepared today. That the thing is just you know like a wave crashing over an adventure, like twice as tall as the adventure. Looking it up like this in the original books. And yeah, it's one of the most powerful. You know, the black pudding in particular is one of the toughest monsters in the original game. It has ten hit dice. 
And that puts it in the top six toughest monsters just by hit dice alone in the original game. It's only exceeded by things like dragons and giants and elementals. And it, and it also has the highest damage output. I think a lot of people don't realize that, but in, in original D&D, it actually has the highest damage output of any monster in the game. Nothing actually exceeds it in terms of dice, uh, dice of damage. So uh, yeah, right out of the box, when Greg told us that um, that's what they confronted for the very, the very first adventure, I'm like, wow, that is, they were, he was not kidding around. That was just instant death, basically, for first level adventurers. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. Right? Yeah. Scary yeah. stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Um, interesting. And yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I mean that that kind of speaks to the nature of these monsters, right? As being um, uh, almost more trap than monster, right? Almost more trap than monster. I want to. I want to jump to. Do you have it here? Maybe you don't. Uh, I was looking for the uh, original edition description of green slime, which you've got. Uh, looks like. I'll just read it. I'll just I, I read it. That book. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, green slime uh, in my original edition uh, book here. I'm going to get to it quickly, I swear. Um, oh, it's in here. I'm looking at it. No, if you want to read it, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and read it to us? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, so uh, it was page 20 of the monster book in original D&D. Uh, green slime is a non-mobile hazard. Green slime can be killed by fire or cold, but it is not affected by lightning bolts or striking by weapons. And again, that's right. the four. Oh, guess, yeah, exactly. I'm going to stop you there. There's there's more detail right. in it as well, but like just just the the fact that in the opening statement, it is a non-mobile hazard, right? It's it doesn't move, and it's described as a hazard, not a monster. It's a, you know, good point. It's a trap. Good point. It's a. Now you encountered green slime recently in Dan uh, plays games from the Elder Times, correct? You're right. I did. You're right. Actually, right. It's in Pool of Radiance, as a matter of fact. And I went walking through a kind of dried up pond, and my characters were getting hammered by green slime. Now that that game massively reduced how deadly it is, because at least in original D and D, uh, let's let me just read the sentence where it says what it does. So in, you kind of this is kind of standard evolution of D and D things. So in original D&D, the effect is it, uh, it eats away wood and metal, but not stone. Green slime sticks to flesh and penetrates it in one turn, thereafter turning the flesh into green slime. So I think the best interpretation is in one turn, you are dead. Yeah. I mean, I'll, uh, let's see, do you have the first edition description in here? Yes, there it is. Uh, I have it memorized because one of my, <laughs> and I have it here. Memorized. <laughs> I do. Of course you do. Okay. You have it memorized. Great. All right. <laughs> so the key change. I'm getting it off screen, and I'm going to look at the book, and we're going to test you. Give it to us, Dan. Tell, tell us okay. your memorized so, green slide description. Okay, so it's largely the same, right? So as, it's largely the same as original in D&D. So yep. what it gets affected by is the same. It, it's killed by fire or cold, in, uh, you know, but not by lightning or chops. The key thing that they changed is that it's not instant death in one unit of time, they change it to one to four units of time, one to four rounds. Mm -hmm. um, and, and someone could start debating the difference between turns and rounds, but in original D&D, &D, uh, a lot of the time they were using the word turn to mean round. So it used to be instant death, now it's uh, death in one to four rounds, unless you burn it or scrape it off. Did I get that right? Close. Close. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, so, so what jumps out at me is here, I'll put it back up on screen. It says, green slime will attach itself to living flesh and in one to four melee rounds thereafter turn the creature into green slime and in parentheses, no resurrection possible. And that's that, parent, that parenthetical, which, I, which is what caught my eye. Like, like, like it. clearly it kills you because no resurrection is possible. You're not even, you're not right. dead. You're green slime now. Right. So let me tell you why I remember. Let me just tell you the, the anecdote yeah. about why I remember that change, because um, I was I was playing a game. God, this is this is so embarrassing. So I was playing a game in the fifth grade. Right. Mm -hmm. And during our breaks or recess or things like that. And uh, I was using advanced D&D rules, first edition, th these rules right here. And the party ran into some green slime. And we were in the classroom. So we're inside, actually in the classroom. 
got on one of the characters and I read this and I go, they go, we're going to try to scrape it off. And, and my best reading of this is it's going to take one round to scrape it off. So mm -hmm. I'm going to roll a D4 for how many rounds it takes to turn you green slime. And if it comes up a one, you die. Your character is eliminated. You are green slime. But if it comes up a two or a three or a four, you get it off in time and you're safe, yeah. right? And yeah. so, you know, and it's funny because a lot of us critique instant death rules, but I've had this kind of thing happen a couple mm -hmm. times in my game and nothing is ever as exciting or memorable as that moment. And so <laughs> not just my players, but the whole classroom gathered around and we, and it's a D4 and we all know the D4 does weird things. And we pushed the desks to the side and we had a circle of the whole class, right? And we're gonna use the whole floor of the room and I just throw one D4 up in the air and everybody's got gasps, right? As it comes down uh, yeah. and it comes up a one and it does oh, actually come no. up the one, the character does actually die, right? <laughs> Oh no! It must have been. Was your was your player like table flip and run out the room and they, I'm never playing with you again, Dan? I don't think it was that bad. You know what? Yeah, it no. could it could have been. I don't think it was that bad. Again, you know, uh, early editions it was fairly easy to make up a new character. I think they were they were yeah. fairly low level at the time, that so they just hard. they just made up a new character. And it wasn't that bad, but uh, it was it was. I remember this this that moment of the D four in the air and every and the whole room was like oh. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Right? The D4 of doom. That's great. <laughs> so that's why I remember that particular rule there pretty well. All right. All right. Great. 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 <laughs> so, All right. So, yeah. so you're so interested in, in Green Slime, Paul. We saw that we saw the trailer for The Blob, uh, which is supposedly Arneson's inspiration for Black Pudding. Well, where mm -hmm. where did, you know, so Gary uh, wrote the, the green slime to our understanding of original D&D. Well, where did he get that idea from? Was he just ripping off Arneson? <laughs> or perhaps... I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps it comes from this. Stars, the lonely, helpless Earth. The 21st century. The world of the future. This flying cars, we totally have that right now. The cold, 21st century. Immensity of conquered space, growing yep. and spreading beyond the warped imagination of the greatest human intellect, exploding in unspeakable horror. The green slide. A cosmic nightmare that sends you into the incredible, the short world of Much I enjoy that. I, that, that. The song is great. The image of the burning space station collapsing is great. And you know what? Look, I seriously rocks. Oh man! I've been, I've been watching that like a dozen times in the last twenty-four hours, and I just don't get tired of that. Here's oh, the, here's goodness. the additional thing that's going to be news to you, Paul. Right? So that's a that's mm -hmm. a, a, a 1968 uh, movie by a Japanese director. I forget the name at the moment. I apologize. So I, I, I rented that on Amazon yesterday and I started <laughs> watching the Green Slime movie. I, apparently that is the, the subject of the first ever episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I haven't seen that, but apparently that's, oh, okay. that's the movie that started MST3K apparently. And right. so I started, I started watching this, you know, this supposedly B-level schlock movie. And, and here's the thing. I've seen worse written movies. <laughs> I have seen I have seen in the last year or two hundred million dollar Hollywood blockbusters that have less well developed characters and backstory than the Green Slime movie. There there are actually fairly reasonable character interactions and acting in this movie. Now the special effects, right? The the model work that actually is kind of painful to look at. But but I've seen worse written hundred million dollar movies in the last year or two, frankly. So. <laughs> well, I, I I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> That's a, that is a, 
So uh, I think that underscores, right? So both of these things are being inspired by, you know, pulp sci-fi horror movies, both of which have the thing dropping out of outer space, actually. Um, and I think that kind of underscores what a um, gumbo original D&D was, is they were willing to start with these mythological creatures and were willing to steal everything in sight from uh, a lot of horror movies, comics sometimes, uh, and these sci-fi movies, and there's, you know, lines that support using cyborgs and robots and stuff like that. So it was very much a grab bag and very much a mix where they were willing to throw anything at the players. Mm -hmm. Including green slime. <laughs> <laughs> that song is fantastic. That's, that is an it song. really is. It really is. <laughs> All right, let me let me ask you. Let me let me let me uh, divert us a little bit away from the origin, and let me ask you about uh, the nature of these creatures being destroyed by specific damage types and the damage types in spells. Right. So we have lightning, fire, cold, and these monsters seem to be susceptible to one of them. How much do you think that was an intentional design of we want three different damage types and we want monsters, we want an, array, an array of monsters that are specifically countered by that? Is yeah, it one I for one? Do we have that? Like, Reslime is susceptible, what, to fire or cold, right? But not lightning? Correct. Correct. And so then you have I your... I have a... Yeah, I have an old blog post where I made a matrix of, of all what you're nice. asking about. It's not in front of me right yeah. now. But okay. it, they're clearly playing with that whole matrix of you have these mm. four damaging types and we're going to have at least some monsters. It's not like every single permutation, uh, but uh, we're going to have some monsters that are playing on what combination of things you might have in your arsenal. Um, and that's clearly, you know, it's clearly targeting a player challenge about do you know this? Do you remember this? Do you identify the color? Um, and um, I feel like that's clearly an intentional Kind of made a gamey playing off the mechanics that exist in the game at that point. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So um, the the place where this hit home for me the most is actually in the classic board game Dungeon. So hmm. if you get out your if you get out your copy of Dungeon, um, it has uh, it has monsters here. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put them up here on screen. This is this is the green slime and the black pudding. Uh, so your monsters have different colored numbers, and the different character types attack on different numbers. It's, that's You're rolling 2d6, trying to get above the number. Fighters get the best number. They're on red. Uh, I think Cleric is on blue, and, and Wizard is on green. But the Wizard has two spells, Fireball and Lightning Bolt, which have unique colors associated with them. Right, So they have a limited number of these that they can toss out, and then some monsters are more or less susceptible to the different spells, but none so much as Black Pudding and Green Slime, which you can see here. And what fascinates me is that this is probably where Dungeon diverts most from the description of the monster in the book, because you can see Black Pudding only needs a five from a fireball and is totally immune to Lightning Bolt, which attacks on gray, whereas Green Slime, totally immune to fireball, and needs only a six or better to be destroyed by lightning. Wacky. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Wacky. Like, yeah. So, so the, what, the what colors are the... uh, gray, gray is for uh, lightning bolt and yellow is for fireball. Huh. Really? Got yeah. It. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That, that, so that is backwards, isn't it? Yeah. They, well, it's exactly correct for black pudding, right? Black pudding has, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as we know, like lightning is terrible against black pudding, right? Because it splits it in half. Now you're just fighting two black puddings. Right. And then, uh, and then whereas fire definitely destroys it. Green slime, though, for whatever reason, has been flipped. And I believe just ultimately, I, I would not be surprised if we had Dave McGarry here to ask uh, if he would just say like, yeah, well, it's for game balance reasons of I wanted a monster who was particularly susceptible to one spell and one that was particularly susceptible to another. Put these classic monsters in and run, oh no, they're both susceptible to fire and neither is susceptible to lightning. So we'll just flip one of them. Great. Good point. Good point. I mean, that's probably what I would do there. Now, this is not see. This is a slightly. Uh, this is a different version of dungeon. Uh, the cards look different than the version, the older version that I mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. So now I want to mm -hmm. go flip through the cards uh, in yeah. the older version and see if it's the same thing there. But I'm going to have to. I'm not going to do that on camera because I'm going to have to <laughs> throw about a yeah, hundred yeah, teeny tiny cards in the in the space. Yeah, this is the my, I, you know, my I'm copy guess like it's the eighties era reprint. But I would, I would, I would believe. I'd be surprised if it wasn't right. the same. 
I agree. I agree. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. If those are the two things. I mean, you could have picked yeah. one of the other ones, but, uh, but, you know, the other ones actually aren't. The thing is, the other ones are all uh, susceptible to weapons, right? These are the two that um, aren't susceptible to weapons that you kind of need magic to attack. So I can see he was kind of boxed. There... Is there a monster who is susceptible to lightning? Is there a monster where like lightning is the right choice? Uh, pretty sure. Um, good question. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll have to go back to your blog and look up that matrix. Gray ooze. Uh, gray you want to use ooze. Lightning against gray ooze? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Why? Uh, no, so maybe gray ooze is in the pack of monsters in dungeon, and I just failed to pick it out. Um, or maybe just Grey Ooze is just not as, uh, uh, yeah, you know, Grey Ooze versus Black Pudding would be a tough sell, I think, right? That's, those are, on, on these little cards, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna, it's gonna, they're gonna look almost like the same thing. True, true. And, um, and, and again, Grey Ooze is, uh, susceptible to both lightning and weaponry, so... In my experience, Grey Ooze is not nearly as dangerous as the other stuff because everybody can just pig pile it and hit it with weapons legitimately. Um, so you almost don't even need to, you know, use, you don't need to waste a lightning bolt spell anyway because you can just have your fighters attack it. I actually had a game once where a player who was relatively new to D&D was in a tunnel that was very narrow, so they had to go single file, so he was in front and uh, came into a room that had a gray ooze in it. And I actually had the gray ooze kind of stick up a, a, a tendril probingly coming towards him just to give a little like lead up to, oh God, there's a thing here, right? And I was kind of thinking of the movie Abyss, right? So you kind of get that, that amoeba-like thing coming at him. And uh, I was just trying to give him a round of reaction time to, you know, cause he was new and never played before being like, oh God, there's something terrifying here. But no, he instead decided to become curious and I was like, oh, I, I sheathe my sword and I reach out to it. I went, oh no. So then I rolled <laughs> the attack and it just destroyed him. So I basically had the gray ooze just shoot tendril right through his chest and just... Oof. Know, yeah, yeah, just impaled him right wow. there. For the person, second person in a row kind of watched this amoeba ooze emerge from his back and just you know, eviscerate Oof. this poor character. Um, it was quite a moment. It was quite a moment. I think we all enjoyed it quite a bit. <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know the extra little foreshadowing there, the round of, of anticipatory, like, oh, what is this thing? Oh, what is this thing? Oh, no, it's horrible. <laughs> it was wonderful. I, you know, I say it every week, but I mean, you know, you know, classic D&D is, is a horror story. It's a horror game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's very, you know, it's very explicit. If you look in the right place, it's very explicit that they're getting a lot of ideas from horror movies and uh, horror pulp writers. And uh, yep. if you play by the book, you can't, you cannot escape it. Nonetheless, extra wet, extra, extra good polish on that, Paul. Good, <laughs> good job on that scene. That I, I really felt that in my gut. Yeah, it was, it was a, it's my, that's my favorite gray ooze story right there. I feel like gray ooze is most often used as like a, it's on the floor, on the wall, and you can't tell because it looks like stone. Um, I'm going to throw up a comment by uh, jo Joshua uh, Macy here uh, just for a second. So Josh is saying, that right there is the problem with the movie The Abyss. It teaches the wrong lessons about tentacular <laughs> horror. I agree with that. I, I really, you know, when I was watching James Cameron's The Abyss, I, then Tentacle comes out, I felt that. I was like, something really horrible is going to happen. And then it's like, oh, it wants to be friends. Oh, that's <laughs> not what I expected. <laughs> So, you know, one thing that you, you, you mentioned at the, at the top, Paul, is like, like, what category do these things fall into? And it's kind of funny because it uh, mirrors the, the real world scientific debate. And obviously, I, I like to call all these things together slimes, largely because, you know, slime molds are a real world thing. So I kind of like to mm -hmm. mentally wrap it like that. And there's real world scientific debate about exactly how you should classify uh, slime molds. Uh, historically, once upon a time, they were considered a type of plant or a type of fungus, and then uh, that's changed, and so now they're put in the, their their own group, basically called protista. Is they kind of just don't fit in with any other living organism in the in the actual world. Um, and so we we have right, and we have that <laughs> same thing happening in D and D. Is originally all this stuff shows up in the monster book. And then there's a constant, you know, there's a standard debate about, like you said, are they are they a monster? 
are they a trap? Are they something else? And as of uh, it was third edition that moved them, uh, that moved uh, green slime, you know, the immobile type specifically, green slime and the yellow mold out of the monster book and put them <clears throat> not in the trap section. They had to make a brand new section just for these things called hazards. Hazards, and it's ah. green slime, it's yellow mold, maybe it's one other thing of immobile, dangerous stuff. And that's where you see it in third and fourth and fifth edition now. So you got I, I and thanks to the thanks to the patrons of Wandering DMs, actually, I was hunting for them in fifth edition, couldn't find the right page. Big thanks to Ash and everybody for telling me where exactly that was. But there's a section called hazards that's basically just green slime and yellow mold. And it's really easy to overlook. And therefore, we, you know, we, it's, it's really easy to overlook because there are this, this unique thing now. Fascinating. Fascinating. But things like, say, the gelatinous cube don't end up in there because that's clearly a monster? Is that... Yeah, the mobile things, mobile? they all keep yeah, in the monster mobile. manual. Yep. And, and since third edition, they've, uh, the class, they've called those oozes, right? So you look in the monster manual under oozes in third, fourth, fifth edition, you're going to see all that other stuff that moves around. One, you know, aspect of that, right? So, uh, so the other thing that the, almost all these slimy types do is they destroy equipment, right? So they, they're yeah. doing damage by acid uh, type things, right? Uh, and if uh, they hit you or you hit them, uh, they have a tendency to eat uh, eat objects that are metal. So they quite frequently will wipe out your armor or your weapons and. Certainly for classic D&D, you know, the, the magic items are the primary way that you built up your character to a large degree. So having your carefully crafted set of armor and weapon just melt off you in one or two rounds was really hideous. And for example, like in first edition, the black pudding, it says it hits you. And uh, if you have chain mail, that's gone in one round. If you have plate mail, it's gone in two rounds, uh, but you get an extra round for each plus of magic bonus. So if you have plus one plate mail, it's gonna take three rounds for it to melt off you. Um, and that was basically kept in first, second, third edition. And one thing I noticed in fifth edition is that uh, it no longer works against magic stuff at all. Huh. Magic yeah, so totally repels edition, it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So in fifth edition, the black pudding says, yeah, it can um, it will uh, destroy your armor, but it, uh, as long as it's non-magical. So your magic armor, totally safe as of fifth edition. Hmm. Hmm. Which is which to me, again, as, a, as an old schooler, I had to kind of do a double take with that because like a large to me, a large part of these monsters was the was the horror of like it totally, you know, they, they almost like black pudding in particular is just a total fighter negator. Right, the fighter can't hit it. Weapons don't work against it. It's, it destroys your equipment. It destroys your armor. So it's very much an F you to all the fighters in your party, and you've got to push the the wizard up front to do something about it. Yeah, and it also you does, have you have other monsters like that too, right? Like my my brain immediately goes to the rust monster, right? Where like all you know, rust monster shows up, and suddenly all the warriors are terrified because they don't want to lose their equipment. Mm -hmm. right. Um, interesting. So I, you know, so I went and uh, about nine months ago or so, I have this uh, simulator that I use for original D&D that runs combats automatically and uh, tries to spit out numbers for how dangerous stuff is and things like that. And I went and I and I'd held off on adding the slime types for quite some time. And I went, I'm now, okay, now I'm going to go implement this because I, you know, these particularly because they were immune to weapons. So they just didn't fit mm -hmm. into the whole I hit you, you hit me system that was up before that. So I had to add wizards and I had to add magic spells in order to even begin to assess what black pudding or green slime would do or something like that. And um, what a pain in the ass. <laughs> just what a huge, it, was, it, like it turned into a, like a, just a huge problem with all the, all the exceptional things about the slimy monsters and uh -huh. coding, uh, coding them up and implementing them were like a nightmare and just conceptually you run into all these problems at least in the original game of how incredibly sketchy it was like let me just read the part of the black pudding description original dnd right it says black puddings dissolve wood corrode metal at a reasonably fast rate okay have no effect on stone 
and cause three dice of damage to expose flesh, which again mm -hmm. is the highest damage in the whole game. If an mm -hmm. armored character runs through a black pudding, the monster's corrosive power will eat away the foot and leg protection of the armor so that it will fall away the next turn. I'm like, what do, what do, I, what do I do with that? I'm like, does it, does it stick on you? Does it, does it affect anything other than the foot protection? What if you have magic foot is, protection? How fast are you running? It, what if you stand yeah. it? Is black pudding mobile in this in that edition? It is, right? It, it is. Right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Because I feel like that's the, the thing that jumps out to me about these monsters is, you know, and, and there are edge cases here. Um, but the thing that jumps out to me about these things is that usually they're they're like we said, they're a hazard, right? And the, the idea being that if you can identify it from a distance, there is no need to go anywhere near it, right? That like or that you're going to find some other way around it, which seems to me very key to classic D&D, right? Like we hear a lot of stories of classic D&D played where, where players have to face monsters that are way above their pay grade, or even all the way back to the first game ever of Blackmore that you were mentioning where they, they encounter a black pudding, right? Because the idea wasn't that we expect the adventurers to kill everything they encounter, right? They, you have this, this notion that most XP is probably coming from finding treasure, and and one one way I like to summarize this to folks who've never played classic D and D is like think about the Hobbit. The goal wasn't to kill the dragon; the goal was to steal its treasure, right? So the goal of the game is to get the treasure, if possible, without having to face the horrors. So that description really really speaks to that for me, right? The idea that like oh well, here's a room we need to get to the other side. There's a black pudding in the middle. Let's just run. Let's just we'll just run right through it. We not fight it. Just just go go go. And then th there's your answer of like, well, okay, you can do that, but it destroys your like armor. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Is, you know, I, it, it does. It does leave me with questions about like, does it do damage when it's doing that, or does it stick to you, or does it do damage later? And um, you know, when I was going to implement it, I wound up asking like a whole like embarrassing ton of survey questions on different sites actually. <laughs> so I'd go on. Uh, Facebook has a big first edition group, uh, the original D&D forums, and I would ask surveys in these places because I was I was trying to dial in, you know, my system as close to people's expectations. And the problem is on these issues, it's sketchy enough that there's lots of room for judgment and people can, can, can go in all kinds of different directions with this legitimately. And uh, for a lot of stuff, there's barely any consensus at all. Um, let me, maybe I'll throw out a couple of um, questions that I had to ask and see how you would go with it, Paul, or maybe our viewers. Um, should it, if one of the ooze monsters hits you, should it stick to you and do damage automatically later, or should it not? Hmm. That is an interesting question. Um, I'm assuming that we're not we're, we're we're not talking about the like. Does it continue to corrode your armor? I would certainly assume you get you're in your full plate armor. You walk under a doorway, green slime falls on you. It's corroding your armor. I'm not rolling to see if it sticks. It definitely sticks to your armor. So let's assume you're unarmored. Green slime falls on you. Presumably has to make an attack roll or something. There's some roll there involved to see like does it land squarely on you or do you like roll out of the way or something. I would I would certainly give a die roll there. So round two, I guess I would expect it to stick. I would expect it to stick and auto do damage unless you're starting to do something about that. That's what I would expect too. Um, now um, it's uh, I've. our chat's going by. So it's Disparal who's pointing out that original D and D um, green slime does say it sticks to flesh the other ones don't so uh -uh. um uh -huh. and uh, i think it's i think moldvay bx specifically says that all that stuff sticks to you but it doesn't say that for anything else in uh classic D, &D. so i think a lot of people uh, uh vote no on that actually that well, it, that well, unless so it's it does, interesting specifically it doesn't stick. when i when i go back to how i ruled gray ooze before usually i don't have gray ooze adhering to you i have it instead it says, in fact, in the description, I think that it strikes like a snake, right? So I'm assuming Grey Ooze turns into these pseudopods that actually, like, lash out at you. Um, and maybe they're acidic and maybe they're burning, but they're not, like, dropping and adhering to you. Rather, they're, they're, they're striking you. And in which case, I would not 
expect it to continue to hit you. Now, what about black pudding? I don't know, especially because I feel like the classic presentation of black pudding is that it's sitting on top of water. I don't know why I have that expectation, but like maybe I've just read too many adventures that, that found <laughs> it clever to like at the bottom of this well or in this underground lake. Ha ha ha, there's a black pudding on the surface. Um, which, you know, is great because the players took off their armor <laughs> to jump in, presumably. Right. right. <laughs> right. Now, I will say, I, I, I kind of accidentally discovered that about the worst thing you can possibly do uh, in D&D in is to put black pudding in water. Like, particularly yeah. if you have an underwater adventure and there's black pudding because the only thing that it's killed by is fire. So you fire, put black right. pudding underwater, I don't know what you can do about it. That's a tough Run day. Away. Run away, which I think is, frankly, is for me, that's that's usually the answer to most of these monsters. Now, there's a very clever yeah. use of yellow mold in uh, Dyson's um, uh, Dyson's Delve, Delve right, yeah. where you have a treasure room that is covered in yellow mold, right? And and it's and it's funny because I, I remember actually, very yeah, scary. yeah, yeah, I remember you playing with it, and like I think you guys spent a fair amount of time trying to figure out what the hell to do about that. Because the the assumption is, well, we know there's treasure under that mold, but is the treasure susceptible to fire? And if we light this room on fire, what's going to happen? Are we do we get do we get a mound of molten gold? Do we get gold pieces? Do we get you know valuable scrolls that have been burnt to a crisp? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. That was I was I that's that really sticks out at me as one of the more scary encounters in there. Yeah. Um, it, it's a um, fun one, too, because I think there are hints about it. There are messages, because basically the monsters are in possession of this thing, and they also want the treasure, but they're like, eh, it's got all this stupid yellow mold on it. What do we do about it? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. another thing, okay, I got two other questions I'm going to quiz you about here, Paul. So mm -hmm. so most of these things destroy, it says they destroy equipment, right? So how do you assess whether it hit the equipment, right? So among the, among the options that occur to me are like, does it just do a normal hit roll and have like plate mail actually protects you from that hit? Or does it do a hit roll as if you were unarmored to try to hit your armor? Or does it hit the armor like if it misses? What do you, how would you, how would you figure I've, out I've, whether the okay. armor's been hit? I have always ruled it that uh, the, that, um, that a hit means it's hit your armor and it's starting to corrode it. I've never, never changed, I guess I've always assumed the, your armor still gives you the, Effective value, like I didn't change it to be like roll to hit okay. ACs, you know, unarmored AC, but okay. just assumed that if it does hit you, that it's hit your armor and it's starting to corrode it. And likewise, the inverse of if you hit it with your weapon, well, now it's on your weapon and it's corroding your weapon. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> great, great. And 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 those are things that we have to make judgments about in classic D&D. I will say that what Paul just said is the consensus opinion. Uh, apparently, I must have thought about it too much because this is one of these things that really surprised me when I found that was the consensus opinion. But most people, uh, most original AD&D players say exactly what just Paul said is just normal, normal hit roll. It's the armor. I could, um, I could see the logic of like, is that how you've ruled it? Is that uh, you, you roll against unarmored roll? Uh, uh, that's armored. what I used to do, but I've switched. I've switched to match uh, yourself and other players. So I'm not, uh, so I'm not surprising people too much. Yeah, yeah. I do the same now. Yeah, interesting. And then the third, the third thing that was problematic uh, when I went to assess things is they very carefully, uh, they very carefully each of these monsters name the four damaging things in original D and D: weapons, fire, cold, lightning. But mm -hmm. what about the spells that don't do damage? Right? What about a death spell or disintegrate or charm monster or whole? What about confusion? Is there a specific? Isn't there a specific note about one of them being destroyed by cure disease? Isn't that in there? Uh, I think in first edition that's added. Yeah. Okay. okay. In, in uh, no, great. It's in the original DNA. So yeah, green slime is destroyed by cure disease. Uh, right. That's always been there. Good point. Um, Fascinating. But, uh, that green slime is a disease. But okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know. Is it a trap? Is it a monster? Is it a fungus? <laughs> is it a disease? For God's sake, uh, nobody knows what it is. It's green slime! It's <laughs> <laughs> an alien horror from beyond the world. Um, 
So, uh, so, so anyway, I find that I find that most people yep. uh, think like a, a death spell or disintegrate should work, and most everybody agrees that confusion and fear should not work. And then other people, and then the other stuff is kind yeah. of in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I would generally think of it as something that's mindless. So any mind affecting things like fear, I wouldn't expect to work. Uh, it certainly makes sense. Death and disintegrate. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So I think yeah, that's why I, 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 I put my simulator that yeah. way. Yeah, I wouldn't fault anyone for saying no because there is a, a specific note about like it is only affected by these spells and no other magic, right? So I could see taking that fairly dogmatically and saying like, well, it says no other magic, so disintegrate. Sorry, doesn't work. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, you know. And then you come in, and of course, magic missile didn't exist in the initial publication of original D anD. d So one of the you know, one of the short circuits is when they brought in magic missile in the first supplement that doesn't have a damage type. So it's not fire or cold or lightning or I don't know, it's debatable whether it's a weapon, actually. Um, so most people and, and in the current rules now, what is it? Force damage uh, most recently. Um, so mm -hmm. that gets around all of these resistances that the slime monsters uh, traditionally have. Yeah, I've been I've been sifting through my dungeon cards here, looking to see if there was any um, gray oozes. There's not, but I did find an ochre jelly. An oh, ochre... really? Oh, I don't know if you can see this. Maybe I'll hold it back. Eh, come on, camera, work with me. Anyway, it's stuck in all the light. Ochre jelly. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ochre jelly oh. is apparently uh, very susceptible to fireball and totally immune to lightning. Or what that's fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Maybe pull up. So having pulled up, having having done my yeah. assessment for original DD, maybe pull up the the thing that you accidentally picked up at the start of the show um, that has the the final result, the final tallies from my system to measure what I call equivalent hit That's dice. But this is a little small on okay. screen. Yeah, I apologize. So yeah. so this yeah. is this is OED. So this is this is the um, these are the stats uh, in OED. I'm trying to read original DD as close as I can. Um, and these are the, the key statistics. There's that column EHD for equivalent hit dice, which my program spits out, which is basically equivalent to challenge rating, frankly. Mm -hmm. I apologize mm -hmm. if that offends anybody. But you can see, you know, most of them aren't that, uh, most of them aren't that dangerous. The, the EHD level is either two or three or four for most of them, particularly anything you can hit with weapons um, isn't gonna be that dangerous. And then at the top, uh, just completely uh, busting the uh, the graph off the top is black pudding with, uh, you can call it a challenge rating of 13, which means it's equivalent to a 13 hit dice monster or a 13 level character, basically. And that is, I can see why people are running out of the theater in the, in the Blob movie, because that is, it's got among the highest hit <laughs> dice, it's got uh, among the highest damage in the game. And it even has the fast, you asked about whether it moves. It actually has the fastest movement of any of the slimes, actually. It's, you know, uh, it, it's as fast as a character in plate mail. So a character in plate mail cannot outrun black pudding. It's really scary. And it's immune to, uh, it's immune to absolutely everything except for fire. And it destroys all your equipment. Mm -hmm. Ha. Mm -hmm. And we didn't even talk about the fact that if you hit it, now you have two. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my favorite thing. I, I, I definitely, yeah. I've had that moment in a game where players accidentally turn one black pudding into two black puddings, and they're just like, no. Now, now that's a turning point of like, we are done fighting this thing. Right. right. <laughs> now, you know, in, in like fifth edition rules, right, it's, it's very clear that you split it and they both have half as many hit dice as you start off with. In original D&D, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it just says that it splits into more. Um, so, uh, how, how have you ruled right that? Do you, do you, do, do they have the same hit points as, are they full hit points? Do they have the same hit points as, as it had in the moment it got split? Does it have half the hit points, uh, at the moment it got split? I'm going to leave that a mystery for my players. So <laughs> the next time that one, I'm not going to state publicly. There. Uh, it's happened. Uh, it, it's happened uh, yeah. at some of our games at our HelgaCon. Actually, I think at the last HelgaCon there were there was a black pudding that did get split up. Uh, so it's happened, uh, but I'm not I'm not going to say public. So I'm going to I'm going to let the players discover which which way I go with that. Okay. Okay. Dan, amazingly, this time it's me that has not been paying attention to the clock, and and it looks like we're out of time. Oh. 
you have any final thoughts on puddings, oozes, or green slime? <laughs> well, I mean, there's some of my most memorable events, honestly. Uh, the, you know, yeah. the, my, my green slime story, uh, things with the black pudding are actually, weirdly, some of the most memorable things. The, the yellow mold was uh, probably the scariest thing for me in Dyson's Delve. And, you know, the, you know, the, a lot of these things have instant death effects, right? They, they totally come at you sideways from normal D&D mechanics. They're, they're at risk of uh, destroying your, your armor and your magic gear. Um, they are possibly entirely immune to all of your standard fighter tactics. Um, and they frequently have instant death effects. So yellow mold can kill you instantly. Green slime can kill you instantly. Black pudding has enough damage to do it. And, you know, that's been largely... <clears throat> massaged out of the game but i i would recommend that people just try if you haven't ever done it just try a game once where you have instant death effects like that on the line and you're rolling dice in the open uh like like my fifth grade story and see the see if that doesn't change the the the, the drama and the excitement level at your table um you know, I, I will I will point out that, you know, Paul's video, Paul has a great video about setting up a dice cam for online play. And it's gotten some some really great comments on YouTube. Um, and then I saw someone on, on Twitter the other day. Uh, I don't think they understood what the point was because they were like, oh, this is someone who clearly just doesn't trust their players. That's why they're doing this. And, I, you know, you got to respect people's perspectives. But I was like, the, the point of this is to share the excitement is to share the excitement yeah. of the dice coming up live, right? And to have all of us react at the same time, because in my experience, there's no uh, there's no greater uh, excitement than a single die roll where death is on the line. So you should, you you know, it's not for everybody. You should try it and just see what it's like, because it's yeah. it's it's a trip. I, I I agree. I agree with that absolutely, and that doesn't apply to just slimes and oozes and jellies. Uh, I think that that's yeah. Anytime there's like you know any kind of poison death save, yeah, it's great, great stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, viewers who are commenting about uh, our lack of coverage of the uh, gelatinous cube. Uh, quick, I'll, I'll make a quick, quick shout out to the fact that uh, yours truly contributed to a book of gelatinous cube variants available on DM's Guild called the Cubonomicon. Uh, so if you want more gelatinous cube content, uh, check that out. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, oh, we, yeah, yeah we didn't get to gelatinous cubes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it came up in a supplement, so I guess it, maybe it wasn't on my mind. I apologize. Gel I love gelatinous we, cubes. We, we must we do have a whole done episode an episode on, on this. We must have done an episode on this when 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 that book came out, right? I got to go back to the archives and look. We, we already talked about cubes. We must have talked we? about gelatinous cubes. Did we? They're great. <laughs> They're so great. Keep up. So those, those wandering DMs make so much great content. It's hard to keep track of it all. <laughs> anyway, viewers, if you have more thoughts on oozes, slimes, jellies, uh, slime molds, holy cow, go look up the Wikipedia article on slime molds. That's weird stuff. Um, but if you have any thoughts on using that stuff in your D&D game, please leave a comment here in the YouTube comment section. We would love to hear from you. Um, and and maybe we'll maybe we'll talk, uh, maybe we'll have to devote an entire episode to gelatinous cubes if we haven't done so already. Maybe we have. We'll figure it out. <laughs> but leave us a comment. Maybe that will spurn uh, additional conversations in the future. And uh, remember that uh, you can like and follow and subscribe to us. And we're on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, GitHub, TikTok, a whole bunch of places. Uh, we have to handle wandering DMs on all those sites. So look for us there and you'll get updates on future shows about gelatinous cubes and other stuff. <laughs> if you prefer to uh, listen to the show in audio-only podcast format, you can do so. Uh, those podcasts are available on our website at wanderingdms.com. Um, also through various... Uh, third-party podcast carriers such as Google Podcast, iTunes, Spotify. If you're listening to the show right now on one of those sites and they offer the ability to do so, please rate and review our show on that site. That helps uh, other users of that site find our show, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, and of course, uh, thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs show. And if you'd like to join them, please do visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. You'll see our different tiers, access on merch, 
behind the scenes stuff we're trying to do and after party chat that we do every single Sunday. So we'll be there on our Discord server to continue the conversation live in about 10 minutes. And it's one of the favorite parts of our week, frankly. So we'll look forward to seeing people there. Um, and uh, you're in the chat today, Paul, right? Yep, I'll be there. Awesome, awesome. Come, I think on, you're come taking on and join on us. Yes, please do. And and Paul, I think we'll be uh, wandering off the show next week. So uh, our plan is, unless I have my dates wrong, uh, my plan is I'll be interviewing right. artist Alyssa Fadden, who does a lot of uh, map making work for a lot of our favorite products, actually. So we'll be interested in uh, getting a chance to talk to cartographer Alyssa Fadden uh, next week. And uh, don't forget other shows on the channel. Actually, I am moving my Elder Times uh, gaming stream to Monday nights. So actually tomorrow night at 11 Eastern time, I'll be back with more Pool of Radiance attempting to dodge the green slime and other horrors uh, in that game. I, I, I have a three-peat going. I haven't had a TPK in three weeks. Uh -huh. Sounds like so you're join in and watch. Sound in... <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and and look for other shows that we're, we're playing and hopefully having on in the fall here too. Uh, so uh, look forward to that. So don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you.